This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Adjective. Curved like a hook. As in, a golden eagle with hooked beak. Informal. Addicted. As in, a girl who got hooked on cocaine. This is Sunny Hollywood Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast and Podcast Rock City. And you are listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock movie podcast. Time to get hooked. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Hope everybody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend full of barbecues, full of friends, full of good food, full of family. It's been a long time since we've been able to do that, or most of us have been able to do that. And I feel like this last weekend was kind of that coming out for everybody. And I hope everybody got to enjoy themselves and as we inch close to normalcy, 
I think we're almost there. We're about 95% there. I think this summer is going to tell us a lot as people get back together and start going out in big groups of people and attending concerts and sporting events and whatnot. So hopefully it remains positive and there's no reason to think that it won't, but keep our fingers crossed that we're at the end of this misery, this interruption into our daily lives and As we always are, we are an escape for you, offering music commentary, music interviews, talking about the latest things that are concerning rock music or that concern rock music. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which also features great podcasts like Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Shout Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus, Cobras and Fire, great podcast there, and Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice, as well as Martin Popoff, the rock historian. So check out Pantheon Pods at pantheonpodcast.com. You can find all of the episodes for The Hook Rocks there, including our latest episodes as well as our very first episode. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, and hope that you enjoy. And also write us a review if you're so inclined. We always like to hear what your thoughts are, and what we're doing. And once again, we have a great guest for you. We have from the band All Good Things, a band that's got a really interesting history that I'm sure all of you are going to find really different and really cool in a way because it's really keeping up with the times about how young people are finding new rock music. And it's been in front of us for many years. And that is the video game element where all kids sit in front of and watch their uh, or play their favorite video games and always have their tunes going or a tune playing whenever there's a menu or in the background of a of a video game. So I'd like to welcome in singer and guitarist of the band All Good Things, and that is Dan Murphy. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How about you, man? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, man, I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on. Like, looking forward to learning more about you and the band and the interesting aspect of the band because it's not the a typical rock story. Um, it's quite different, but it also fits with where we're at in the times with technology and how people receive and absorb music, especially young people. Because let's face it, young people are not listening to the radio like we did when we were younger. Um, they're not watching MTV to find new music like we did when we were younger. So it's either social media or through video games or commercials when you know they're, they're in front of the TV watching that. And that's even few and far between. But we're going to get into all that. But we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest. And that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, a band, an album or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh man, there's a couple that come to mind, but um, I guess like if I'm thinking of a big, you know, all out rock performance, um, you know, I was born and raised in Montana, so I didn't get to see a whole lot of crazy uh, rock and roll shows growing up. If I did, I usually had to travel outside of the state to, to see something cool. Um, but I think the first time I ever saw like a really epic show was probably Aerosmith at, uh, Fiddler's Green in like Denver. Uh, I was really young, uh, just got a guitar and, um, that was the first crazy giant, you know, live performance I'd ever seen. It was really mind blowing to see that many people and just, you know, chicks taking their shirts off. And it was just like a, for a little kid, it was the greatest experience of my life. So, um, 
you know, that was probably the coolest thing for me and, you know, really inspired me. But, but going back before that, I was able to um, see my uncle play in like basically a cover band at like a, a family reunion type thing. And that was kind of the first thing that inspired me to get a guitar uh, just because I saw them play. I saw like a white Parker guitar. And I remember at the time thinking, damn, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I need to learn how to do that. So um, that was like the first time I got the bug. But then seeing it to the next level, like I did in Denver with Aerosmith, that was kind of like, oh, wow, maybe you should dedicate like your life to trying to pursue this kind of thing. So, yeah, probably that. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember going to my first rock concerts as a middle schooler and discovering that not all breasts are real. And it took a (laughs) rock concert for me to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, man. Yeah, I remember, you know, the first show I ever went to, was a band called Wide Street Panic, which is more of a jam band. But I wasn't, you know, every I wasn't a stoner growing up, and uh, that was definitely the first time I ever remember just smelling just you know pounds of weed being burned. So that was hilarious too. You're like good old rock shows will introduce you to everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it is kind of like an awakening. It is kind of you know getting out of your bubble, especially if you're a young kid, and you know your your parents are more or less kind of guiding you wherever you're going and what you're doing. And all of a sudden you're at this rock concert and it just seems like the rules don't apply. Yeah. hundred percent, man. It's just, uh, yeah, it feels like you're escaping, you know, and even going back to being a young kid playing shows and, you know, you know, leaving our hometown and we, we used to book our own shows all over the state and the Northwest or whatever. And just when you're even in you know middle school and high school and leaving to play these shows, it felt like you were, you know, escaping reality to go play. Like it might just be some dive bar or whatever in Great Falls or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was just the escape. And uh, that was always like the dream to, you know, keep building that and, you know, grow from the funny dive bars that were so amazing back in the day. Like I remember playing like the worst shows ever and just thinking, God, this is the best thing I could ever do with my life. So, yeah, it's interesting how it works. It is interesting. You know, growing up in Montana, you know, you mentioned that a lot, a lot of rock concerts come to Montana. And I imagine, too, as well, the, the rock scene or finding rock music is a bit of a challenge, too. What was that like growing up? You know, it's actually interesting is when I was in middle school and high school, there was a crazy big rock scene. There were like tons of metal bands and new metal bands like Great Falls, Montana. I always bring that up because I was that was like a forty-five minute drive north from where I lived, and uh, we would always book shows there almost like every weekend. We'd play in this dive bar called the Loading Zone and play with like these bands, like wearing masks and makeup or face paint, and like just people going hard. And there was like this scene of like touring metal bands around the state when I was like a young kid. It was really interesting. Uh, That kind of fizzled out, I think, you know, in high school, and it became more of a a warp tour kind of a scene, I guess. But uh, yeah, in the beginning, there was a ton of ton of music in Montana. It was really cool. We had a really cool scene. Um, but it was funny. We would book our own shows uh, back, you know, I think that was even before MySpace. But the MySpace days, just booking anywhere and everywhere, small towns in Montana and uh, just playing dive bars underage and not being able to drink or next to strip clubs and not being able, you know, not allowed inside, but you still go and uh, play your show and rock out a bunch of drunks. So you know, it was fun. It wouldn't change it. It was definitely an interesting way to kind of grow up playing music in bars and stuff, but it was fun. How did that shape you as a musician, you know, being influenced by what you're seeing and, and what you're hearing? You know, you mentioned the, the, the vibrant rock scene there in Montana, but I also have to imagine, too, that, you know, somewhere, somewhere down the line, there was a classic rock station or some new rock that you heard, too, as well. How did that all mix in with you? 
Yeah, I, I think I went through a really strange. Uh, I mean, I started as like a metal kind of screaming hard rock singer guitarist, and then kind of transitioned into all really all sorts of music. I mean, you know, kind of did do a lot of the Warped Tour kind of stuff, and then moving to LA, getting into you know, other bands, a couple of different bands and then licensing and writing in all different sorts of genres that really, you know, you kind of had to open your eye to um, writing different stuff and just kind of, you know, getting out of your bubble a little bit. But um, yeah, growing up in Montana, I wouldn't say like the scene was crazy, you know, but, you know, not like a lot of bands made it or anything, but there was just this awesome camaraderie and like support for each other. And like a lot of people turned out to these shows, but um, yeah, those are, you know, those little shows in the beginning were what inspired me to, you know, book shows and tours down to LA, which was always the goal. It was always, we got to play in LA and book a, you know, book a whole tour around some of the rocks here, the whiskey or, you know, anywhere on sunset you could book really. And, um, you know, the end game was always, we got to end up in LA living here and trying to make a career out of it. So yeah, I mean, over the years we've all written a bunch of, you know, speaking for my band, we've, we've written a ton of different genres and styles of music and we've been in different bands, all of us, but, um, we kind of gone full circle back to the hard rock thing. And uh, it's been a blast, you know. I didn't realize how much I missed screaming my butt off, and um, yeah, I definitely spent a few years without playing really hard rock music, and I'm really glad to be back, you know. How did all those experiences lead you to LA? And 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 when you're in LA, how did that lead you to all good things? So I moved to LA with my band from Montana. That was always the goal. So we moved here. You know, we did a little touring and I kind of fizzled out, you know, I never obviously was going to be anything crazy, but, um, you know, just kind of working on various different projects and everything. I was introduced to Andrew and Liz, my guitarist and bassist, who are actually incredible producers. They had a production team that um, was just, you know, turning out really cool songs. And my drummer, Tim, at the time had been working on some songs with them and drumming on their tracks. And he actually introduced me to them just as a singer to do kind of more whatever pop stuff or whatever they needed me to do. I was actually kind of a session guy where I was kind of singing on, you know, anything I could really get booked at the time. I wasn't really necessarily writing as much as I wanted to, but, um, you know, after I gained the trust of people, obviously people would start letting me write. But in the very beginning it was more, Hey, here's a singer, you know, he might be interested in singing on some of your stuff. Um, and then fast forward, you know, a couple of years or whatever. And they were looking for, you know, to, to knock out some really cool hard rock stuff. And they had a couple of different singers, but they were looking to kind of, you know, it was all written for licensing. It wasn't necessarily a, um, um, you know, meant to be an album or a band or anything. So, uh, in the beginning I was introduced, Tim was, our drummer was like, dude, this guy can scream on. He just hit up Dan, you know, he's a, he's a great singer. He grew up doing it. And, uh, yeah, long story short, I did, uh, two songs on the first EP we called battle rock one. And then, uh, yeah, here we are now. You guys have a little bit of a different history than most bands that I mentioned in the beginning. And that's how you guys started and the reason why you guys started. Anthem music, or songs that are more anthem-related, for TV, video game, licensing, and that. And then it kind of evolved into what you guys are now. How did that thought process or where did that viewpoint come from within the band? Um, I mean, we were always kind of shaped by what the fans kind of sent back to us. Like in the beginning, we were just putting music out there to get licensed and placed on TV, film, commercial, whatever it may be. But we didn't really realize how many of these songs had been getting, you know, tons of plays on YouTube or Spotify. Um, and a lot of these people had, you know, uploaded their own uh, AMVs and GMVs, which are, you know, anime music videos, game music videos, uh, where they just kind of take footage that they think would be really awesome with, um, 
you know, the, our music, it would just be a good, you know, basically our music would be the soundtrack to what they had in mind for their gaming or whatever it might be. And, you know, hundreds, hundreds of these videos would uh, start popping up on YouTube and uh, we'd get all these comments, you know, who's this band, where are they, uh, you know, when are they playing, where are they touring? And it just was kind of overwhelming. We never thought it would be, uh, you know, a, a real band until all these videos started popping up and really kind of shaping the idea of the imagery and the way we wanted to kind of portray our band and some of the stories we wanted to tell. I have to imagine, too, that having people hear your music and listen to your music, that's an avenue that not a lot of artists think of when they're starting out because everyone's part of the rat race in music, right? When they, you know, they, they record a song or they write a song, record a song, and then put it on in all social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever they, they put it out at. And they really got to work at it to build an audience when you when you put a song into a video game kids are going to buy it and kids are going to hear your music and they may not it may not connect with them the first time or the second time but the longer that kid plays that game that music then becomes a part of that experience which when i was growing up the physical aspect was very important to the experience and i have to imagine now with so many things pulling kids in different directions which is why you know music is kind of in the background now in a lot of kids' lives instead of the forefront. That playing yeah. video games and having that outlet to reach your fans is is pretty huge. Yeah, and it, you know it's something I grew up. You know the songs from like Tony Hawk. You know those live on forever, and you'll always remember that soundtrack. And you know NHL games and everything. So uh, you know we've been lucky to have a you know a few placements in video games and stuff. But it is like crazy how you know we're, we're so lucky where our music just kind of has with you know the help of extreme music a great company we work with for licensing um we've ended up in a ton of different tv shows or commercials or whatever it may be and we really don't know where this stuff's going to end up or games or anything until you know we read these comments on youtube or get these messages hey we you know we just heard this song and this my favorite show or whatever it might be and you know people kind of like attach themselves to the band when they see or, you know, their favorite show or their favorite game and they, you know, hear our music uh, kind of be the soundtrack to it. So, yeah, it has been interesting and it, we've been really lucky and really we never end up know where this stuff ends up until, you know, these fans or people reach out and say, hey, we heard you in this. And, uh, yeah, we've been really lucky. When you become a part of that world, does it become more where these licensing companies or video game producers or commercials or TV shows, they start to look for your music or they start to ask for more of your music because you, you've building up a reputation. Yeah. I think in the beginning the, the battle rock kind of EPs that we put out, they did so well. And, um, you know, even with my band, it, like we had a few different singers, you know, like the, the, the songs I did in the beginning seemed to get a few more streams than some of the others. So we just kind of, I gradually started singing more and more. Um, yeah, I mean, not not necessarily. It was more just like we need to follow up the first successful successful release with another one, and then you know if that went well, it was which it did. We were like, all right, well, let's put out, you know, a full length or whatever. But we don't know what companies are actively trying to license our stuff. Like, if we're lucky if it is, and sometimes we'll get these surges. Like right now, we're we're hearing for the glory everywhere. You know, it's popping up in playoff games. Uh, NBA and NHL and all sorts of stuff. And you will get these surges and you know, it might just because, Hey, now we're starting to get on radio and maybe people are realizing like, Hey, this is a quote unquote real band now. Um, and not just a studio project or a licensing project, you know, um, licensing music has never been like the sexiest thing. You know, it's always kind of been this, 
uh, like insanely awesome music and really awesome producers I've always worked with, but it's never just got that uh, attention that the rest of the uh, music that I've put out really kind of has. So it just feels good to kind of finally, finally feel validated, I guess, um, having this stuff being played on bigger networks and, and radio and uh, yeah, feeling accepted as a, a real band and not just a licensing kind of studio project. Well, you guys have a very straight theme or not, I shouldn't say straight theme, but a theme that connects your music is very like this apocalyptic theme. It's got very much these anthems and these big hooks and these swings in the music. When you're writing music for that, I mean, is that part of the process, you know, arranging this music and having this constant theme throughout what you're playing? Um, not necessarily. I think we definitely uh, write song to song. Like maybe we'll kind of generally have a, a theme. We've always kind of said we, we write for the rise of the underdog. We're kind of, we've been the underdog band. It's kind of been in the shadows forever and finally getting our chance. But we've always kind of written to help people get through things and help people, uh, you know, get through hard times or accomplish, you know, some really hard, challenging stuff. So, um, yeah, I think we definitely write song to song and, you know, a lot of our studio days are actually we'll sit there with a movie just in the background on like the monitor next to the to the studio monitor and um you know honestly sometimes those will kind of shape just an idea you know just seeing a visual might inspire like a musical idea or just even a hook um so yeah we definitely try to make everything sound a little different and uh you know really we try not to repeat concepts either we're really liz and i kind of agonize over lyrics endlessly we go back and forth for days if not weeks sometimes just trying to iron out the perfect melody or the perfect lyric and stuff like that so it's definitely song to song i wouldn't say it's like a you know one sound or one topic that we're we're sticking with on a whole album is it a different writing process for you guys i mean it's very sensory oriented right because when you're watching something and there's music you're you're listening with your eyes just as much as your ears and yeah you know does that affect your songwriting i mean it can definitely inspire like a lyric or some cool idea i mean a lot of our writing processes are usually pretty slow moving and simple like a lot of times it'll be just liz and i hanging out on the couch in the studio and andrew's always you know we we self-produced everything at least to this point um and uh so hanging out in our studio and andrew's working on the computer and it, it just might just take like a weird sound or like a percussion instrument or loop or, you know, a guitar or just one little riff. But sometimes like just for, for the glory, for example, like, um, our newest single, like it just took that intro melody, that, that synth sound for us to be like, dude, what was that? Stop. Like play that again. Like you got to record that now before you forget it. So, you know, just you track an idea as it comes and then, you know, maybe, maybe the visuals would inspire something over it and you can kind of run from there. You have a four, you have an album coming out here, you know, when this summer? Yeah, it's penciled in for fall. So, um, we're still working on it. It's definitely, uh, it's been in the the works for a long time. We plan on putting it out about a year ago before coronavirus, but now we've uh, pushed everything back to, to kind of wait until we can tour and get on the road and actively push it. So, um, right now it's penciled in for fall. I want to say like hopefully August, September, but, um, yeah, it's hard to say for sure, but we definitely have a few more singles coming before then. Um, and hopefully, yeah, the album while we're on tour and playing a lot of shows this year. You mentioned about the writing that you guys do and how it's about rising up and overcoming things and, you know, very thematic. And, and when you're writing music during a pandemic and you're, you're trying to, you know, stick with that type of 
mentality when you're writing music, how does that affect the lyrics and the tone of what you're trying to do? You know, what's funny about that is the record we're about to put out was pretty much written entirely before the pandemic hit. And when it did hit, all these songs were just so relevant uh, lyrically to the struggle people had been going through and people losing their jobs and you know, businesses and everything that had been going on over the last year. It was like almost every month it would go by. Like, you know, for example, we wrote a song about some of the fires that had taken over. Uh, two of our members are Australian and, you know, Australia was on fire like crazy a couple of years ago. Same with California. And one of our songs is kind of written about that during that whole thing. And, you know, there's, there's these events every month of 2020 where it was like, damn, this song seems like it, it would be perfect to release right now. Cause you know, like, it, 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 it was really a struggle for us to not put out the record because I feel like so many songs on that album can help people get through hard times, which the whole year was hard times. So um, it was that battle of, do you want to put out an album and, you know, let people enjoy it or you want to just wait a little bit and hopefully you can get out there and really push it. And, uh, you know, this is our first album, so we want to do it the right way. So, you know, we've signed to Better Noise Records recently and uh, we're kind of, you know, trusting the, uh, the the plan and uh, and you know hopefully everything goes well and we'll have it all done and wrapped and ready to go this fall when we're touring how was that experience i mean you know before you're writing music first you know for licensing and and you know that's kind of where your your heads are at create creatively and now you have a record deal now you sign with better noise who also has you know all these other great bands that are on their label you guys now go into a school, uh, the studio to you know to fulfill that and to record an album, a full length album. Was there any different in how you guys create in terms of writing music? No, not really, because again, it was always you know us in the studio bashing out our own ideas and self producing it and kind of um, just writing demos and sending demos into the label. Um, I, I think the only thing that did change was us uh, you know looking for feedback because it was always just kind of what we said goes and whatever we wanted to release, we could release and put out there. And a lot of the stuff was just never overthought. We never thought twice about, you know, who was going to hear these songs? Are they going to blow up? Or like, you know, really sometimes even the lyrics or the melodies I might not be in love with, but it fit the song or it fit the vibe of it. Um, but now knowing we're working with a bigger company and, and we're able to reach a lot more ears, you know, you obviously want the new release to be the best it could be. And, um, yeah, we definitely overanalyzed a lot of things and really sat down, uh, tearing apart lyrics and, and rewriting choruses and rewriting songs and melodies and just trying to make everything the best it could be. So, um, yeah, I, it's definitely changed in that way where we're really trying to make everything almost perfect now and not over, um, you know, almost overthinking it as opposed to, you know, back in the day, just recording it, throwing out there, like whatever we did in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, it always depends, you know, and like, Certain songs, it might be a struggle, and certain songs, like Further Glory, might come together in an afternoon or a couple hours, and, uh, you know, every every song's different, you know, the way it comes together. But this album as a whole um, was narrowed down from a giant pile of demos, you know, 20-something, maybe 30 demos. It'd be kind of narrowed down to our favorites, which is really hard. I still, like, am fighting to get a couple more on there if I have time, but I don't, I don't know. We'll probably stick with 13 songs, but... Uh, yeah, it was hard to narrow down, but we're really happy with where we ended up. Are you surprised by the evolution of the band? Because like we talked about, that wasn't the the priority when you guys first started. And here you are with you know a record contract with Better Noise, who's got a great reputation, and now you're developing a, a full-length album. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was 
sorry to interrupt. Uh, oh, go ahead. But I was like, that was always the, uh, the goal was always to be a, you know, a successful musician, a singer in my case. And, um, you know, signing to better noise is awesome, but it is funny how it did come about. Cause you know, when I was doing all good things in the beginning, like the early, uh, catalog stuff, I was pushing other bands in the background and, um, you know, LA, when I moved here, I thought it was all sunset strip rock and roll and, you know, guns and roses. And like you get here and you realize there's not as much love for rock and hard rock as, you know, you wish there kind of was, there's definitely the shows that come through, but it kind of seemed like, you know, indie was taken off a lot more and a lot of other stuff. Um, but we were all actively in different bands and, um, pushing different projects. I was in a band for a short couple of years with Sean White, and I really thought that project was going to take off. I never actually released anything I recorded with them, but that turned into another side project of mine. But, you know, we've all got these other projects, and we were even in bands together, and we were playing shows. It was funny. We were all playing shows as these other projects, and this All Good Things thing was like, no, we're just a studio band. they bashing stuff out, putting it on Spotify, and like seeing what happens. And as we're pushing all these projects, it was like, well, damn, fight and get up. We're like, you know, got millions of plays now on YouTube. And like, we just slowly were like, wow, we got to really focus our energy on this project. And instead of, you know, kind of bouncing around doing everything else. So we, we realized the attention it was getting and how much fun we had writing it and how easy it was coming. And it was just kind of a no brainer. I had friends in the beginning. They're like, dude, why don't you just, you know, they heard get up and they're like, dude, this is like your calling. Like, why wouldn't you just do this full time? And, you know, it was just, I didn't know we had the listeners, you know, that was always the goal. If we, if we had people that were wanting the music and, and then we'd continue, but we never thought it would grow into what it has. It's crazy. It is crazy because you you mentioned moving to LA and expecting this great big rock scene and, you know, struggling to find an audience because other things are becoming more appealing than rock and roll, unfortunately. And it's kind of the same story for bands across across the country and in, in overseas too as well, where rock did kind of take a back seat to a lot of young people's music tastes, right? Because they wanted to listen to the hip hop or pop music. And a lot of hard rock bands found their home and found their audience, like we talked about, with video games and social media and in licensing and stuff like that. And it's interesting because yeah. I, I have a sixteen year old son and he plays video games. And, you know, he's always listening to the music that are on the games, too, as well. I mean, he's always, you know, like, oh, who's the name of this band? And he'll look them up. He'll go on their social media pages. And it's a great tool. It's a great avenue for rock bands to find that audience because it's hard to find a connection to the youth of today with rock music. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, attention spans seem to get shorter and shorter. And um, just being able to stick out at all or like have any sort of music grab anyone's ear now is just kind of a miracle. Um, you know, and now we're diving into the world of TikTok where it seems like, you know, a seven second video is about all anyone's got the attention for, but it's almost like, you know, you're wondering if like, is that the new licensing where instead of, uh, you know, writing to be the background of film and TV, are you writing to the be not saying we're doing this, but you know, it might be a good idea for bands to start writing TikTok songs. It'll go viral just specifically for selfie videos, you know, uh, you know, just being the soundtrack of everyone's lives, you know, because now it's kind of shifted and it's all about everyone's social media and, and sharing themselves constantly. So yeah, if you can become the soundtrack of someone's life, then I think you have a good shot at, you know, sticking on social media and some, something like TikTok. I'm still like new to that world and we're trying to wrap our heads around it, but, um, yeah, it's just crazy with the world we live in and, you know, just Spotify and the playlist and people not really buying music and 
even going to YouTube and finding music just through videos, it's just harder and harder to, you know, to make people realize you are a band. Like in the beginning, we, we had all these videos on YouTube with millions of plays, but they didn't really, all the comments kind of thought the person that uploaded the video was the one that wrote it. You know, it wasn't necessarily, they thought it was a band. It was like, what is this song? I love this song, but no one really knew it was all good things. Um, so it is hard to like reach people and make them, you know, supportive of, of the band. Cause yeah, I mean, ADD and music and everything is real, man. It's just, it's hard to keep people's attention. It's crazy. Yeah. I just had an interesting conversation with Josh Todd from Buck Cherry on that same subject, you know, about how, the average person's attention span is like now 11 seconds or something like that. Yeah, and, for real. You know, and the, the thing I see about TikTok, and I'm, I'm still curious to how that's going to impact music long term, because like you said, it's these small snippets of songs. And it's really easy for the person watching to like it, right? Oh, this is cool. I'll like it. Now, does that like turn into interest in that person's music? Does that person who liked it or the majority of people who liked it go buy their music, go subscribe to their YouTube channel, go like their Facebook page or follow them, whatever the case is, does it translate into that? I don't know if that does that yet. You know, That's an interesting question that we probably won't know the answer to that for a couple more years. I think a lot of people and, you know, people in the industry are trying to figure out exactly that, you know, uh, there's definitely uh, value to it. I mean, over the last year, TikTok has blown up and you've seen songs blow up just because of TikTok. Um, You know, maybe a chorus is like that. There's a band on our label that has a huge TikTok song and and you see the reach that it has. Um, But I think bands like us are struggling to, you know, tie that world into everything else. Like how, like, like you said, how do you turn a seven second TikTok into streaming numbers on Spotify? You know, how do you get those fans from one platform to another? Um, because usually pick, people kind of pick and choose your TikTok or your Instagram or whatever. So I don't know. It's uh, I think it's something everyone's trying to figure out right now. Cause it's not necessarily a music platform, but people are trying to make it that. Um, and yeah, we're trying to figure it out too, to be totally honest with you. No, because it is it. It's very interesting because yeah, I mean it's it's easy to grab someone, right? But with the attention span, you know, is that person going to go and say, "Oh, I like this," and then say, "Okay, I'm going to go find their Twitter page or Instagram page or wherever YouTube page, yeah. and I'm going to listen to more because there is that that attention span element that is the challenge, right? Is are they going to take yeah. the time or are they just going to flip to the next video and like it? Well, and, you know. I mean, I'd like to say, you know, yeah, hopefully they will, because for me, it was like all these songs ended up on TV or commercials or whatever. It's like people had to Shazam it to figure out what the band was, you know, like people actually took the time to be like, hey, you know, Shazam, what song is this or whatever they're using? And and that was always crazy to me. Like in the beginning, that's how we were getting all our plays with people like hearing something in the background of a TV show and be like, oh, dude, this is cool. I want to look this up. And, you know, I got to be honest, I've never really unless it's on the radio or something, I've never really done that on a commercial. Like, dude, I need to hear this song. So, I mean, I guess there are music junkies and people actively looking for the next band and their next favorite thing. And, um, yeah, I guess if TikTok is a tool for some people to do that, then they know more power to them. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, is great. I mean, the more platforms people can discover music on is great. We just have to be able to kind of push that into you know, record sales, merch sales, all that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and that's, that's the big question. Like you said, a lot of people in the industry are trying to figure that out and, and you know, I, that in. 
we were, you know, I just, we always talk about like the back in the day, we've been all doing this for so long, but we, I just missed the days of MySpace, man, where it was a one stop. There's also peer volume too, but everyone was on MySpace. And that's where, you know, you design your profile. And that's where everyone went to land to hear your newest music. And you got to make it look exactly how you wanted. And people could buy their merch through there. And you could like promote your friends and, you know, book a tour through there and post your dates there. It was like everything all in one. And since then, it seems like we've kind of, spider webbed into a million different platforms, which is fine. And, it, you know, but yeah, it's crazy. It's so much more hands-on than it used to be. You got to be posting daily, almost every day to, to keep people's attention and uh, let people know that you're still out there doing it. Cause it can get, uh, you know, swallowed up pretty quickly. I've, I've often spoke about that on the show. We've had people on to talk about that very thing. Are there too many platforms for the consumer? You know, because if you look at, you know, the United States, for instance. I mean, I, I don't know which one has more, but I think it's pretty even between Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, and people who usually Instagram don't Facebook or Twitter and vice versa. Whereas you go yeah. to like Europe and the UK, Facebook is way more prevalent than some of the other social medias. So again, you know, when you're a consumer and you've got YouTube and the three that I just spoke of, and now you have TikTok and then the you know, there's Bandcamp and there's all these places mm-hmm. to go and find new great rock music. Is it too much? Is it too overwhelming for, for, for consumers? That's the big question, too. Yeah, and it's not even just the social media uh, platforms. It's also just your streaming platforms like, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and Deezer and Google Play and Amazon Music, YouTube Music. Like, there's so many of those, too, where, um, you, know, you know, streaming took over. But um that's another thing too, you know, it's like if one's got to eventually maybe, you know, take over, you'd think, but maybe not. I mean, I'm actually personally still an Apple music guy. Um, I'll probably make the transition eventually, but uh, yeah, that's funny too. It's like, you always kind of pick and choose. I think whatever for me, I kind of want to go back to Spotify because it'll introduce me to more bands. And I, I, I would, when I was using Spotify, I actually found a ton of cool new music. And I think whatever platform is, can kind of, you know, give listeners what they want and, and introduce them to new music that, they're wanting to hear, you know, that's going to win in the long run. You've got the new song for the glory, which is released in March. It features some guests on the, on the song as well. How did that song come about? So for the glory, I was actually on our machines album, which was like the first full length we put out. And we always kind of knew that was a monster song. We never really thought it would kind of take off and do what it did. Um, But we, we were around like some 40 million plays on Spotify when, uh, when the label and us were like talking about the new album and trying to figure out if we wanted to re-release for the glory and have it as a part of the new album. Um, and obviously if we did that, we needed to bring something new and exciting to it, some new energy. So we um, just really did some brainstorming and tried to figure out who would be like the perfect artist to rewrite a bridge and kind of bring, you know, a unique energy and vibe to it. Um, obviously with, you know, a crossover with our fan base too, with a lot of the same listeners. So, you know, the top of the list was, you know, Hollywood undead. We thought they could take the bridge and, you know, do their own thing with really no, um, guidance. We just kind of said, Hey man, do what you want to do. And, um, they did exactly that, man. It was just easy. It was easy. We had a couple of zooms with them, shot them the, uh, you know, not even really ideas. We were just like, Hey, gang up the end and do what you want on the bridge and make it yours. And, uh, they sent us back that one version and we, you know, put it in the song and that's that, man. You also have, are you also part of the retaliators, uh, soundtrack yeah. as well. How did that project come about? And how were you guys involved in that? 
So the Retaliators is coming out, hopefully this fall. I believe it's a, a movie our label's been putting together. So, um, you know, from the beginning, I guess they've always kind of wanted to include For the Glory in one of the scenes. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know exactly where it's going to be or anything. But, um, yeah, that was always the idea to get, you know, For the Glory released with an actual video and then tied to the movie because, you know, it's kind of a, the whole soundtrack is better noise bands for the most part. But, um yeah, and, and just kind of uh, even giving cameos to the artists. Miles and I, actually, our guitarist and I, uh, flew out to, to Vegas to be a part of the film. Just a quick cameo as a couple gas station clerks. So that was nice of them to include us in that a little bit and, um, you know, be a part of the film. But, yeah, it was cool. And um, to be totally honest, though, it was funny because we had to shoot that music video in uh, quarantine. Obviously, we're all locked down and the only option we had was masking up and going to a green screen studio and, uh, you know, kind of coming up with a totally new concept. Um, so we pretty much had the video and, you know, done and the label was like, yeah, we need to tie you into the retaliators and this is going to be on the soundtrack. And, you know, we actually went through, I don't know, like five or 10 different edits of the music video with movie footage spliced in, but it was, it ended up being good because now it's more of like a trailer in the beginning, but uh, I'm just kind of picky about visual stuff. And our, our, our video is very purples and reds and, and futuristic kind of leaving earth. And, um, you know, you know the, the movie's about subhumans and it's very blue and gray tones and dark. So it was all over the place. And we were trying to find this balance where, you know, it, it still told a story and visually looked okay. And we ended up um, happy with the way it came out, but it, it definitely took a lot of uh, edits and, and thinking about how to tie that in uh, to the movie because it is a song about glory in the end. And um, it really is another one of those Rise of the Underdog songs. And it's in a horror film with really looks pretty gory. So it was a matter of kind of like, how is this song going to work in the film? And I can't wait to see exactly how it, uh, it all ties together. The visual aspect of your music is very important. Where does that come from? How was that, uh, or how did that, how are the influences that you had growing up, becoming the musician that you are now, affect the need for it to have a visual aspect in your music? Um, I think there's always just been that the goal for this band was to be kind of a more cinematic band or be more of one of those just weird sounds and bombastic weird rock sounds, you know, like really unapologetic rock songs that, that, you know, we just wanted to throw out there that we thought could be in a sporting event or could be, uh, you know, someone's walkout song on wrestling or something people wanted a game to all day long, you know, it got them fired up to play call of duty or whatever it might be their soundtrack for. Um, but that's always been our goal as a band. It was just to do very visual things. Um, and in the beginning when we weren't even, you know, a, you know, a real band or whatever you want to call it, we didn't even want to take photos of ourselves and put that out there. It was always just like, Oh, let's, you know, we, we actually ripped some, um, we got some stock gas mask photos and we put them online and we're like, yeah, this is our band photo, you know, cause we didn't want to show our real faces in the very, very beginning. And, you know, more people reached out, uh, you know, they were like, you know, who is this band? We took the mask off. And it's funny how the mask ended up kind of shaping our, our, uh, our imagery. And, and it's really brought a lot of the post-apocalyptic fans and, uh, and ideas into uh, our music, which has been super fun to see some of these videos people have made to our music. So, um, yeah, we've always really tried to be a visual band. And I think we've been lucky because a lot of our fans have kind of realized that and made their own crazy videos to our music. And um, we're just kind of sticking with that, hoping to be just kind of the soundtrack to really crazy movies or uh, sporting events or playoffs like, you know, they're using it in NHL right now. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep sticking with that because it seems to be working. 
It's amazing how you're connecting with your fans in the way that you are because it's so cool. And I think that's so awesome because I've been an advocate for new rock music for a while and trying to find that way to connect to the youth and trying to get them you know, to, you know, I know everyone says, well, it's pop music and it's hip hop. And I think that's an easy answer, but compared to when you were growing up or when I was growing up, there's so many different things that are pulling kids in different directions. Now. Um, there's so many things. I mean, video games back when we were younger was a thing, but now it's really a thing, right? I mean, it's a lot, it's a thing where kids spend a lot more time in front of that TV instead of listening to the radio or going to the record store or listening to music. And now to incorporate that and find that following that you guys have, I just think that's amazing. I think it's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're still super uh, shocked, I guess, that it's happened the way it has and that many people have kind of found us. Um, yeah, we're just grateful every time we, we we hear our music pop up on anything, man. I mean, it's it's really cool. Like, uh, I don't know, I just every time I watch, like even last night I was watching a playoff game and I heard For the Glory, and to me it's still so unreal. And, um, you know, <laughs> we've just been sitting at home during this whole pandemic and, you know, kind of seeing the band have this success from our you know, our bedrooms basically, we are not, you know, it doesn't feel any different than it used to. Um, that's why I'm just kind of looking forward to this fall and getting out there and, and playing a bunch of shows and really feeling like a, a band, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic though, we did, you know, 10, 12 live streams. We did a live stream every week and that was almost like therapeutic for all of us. Cause we were, weren't really able to see each other. And when we did the live streams, we were even masking up and like, you know, it was like the one time a week we could get together to bash out some songs and then chat with the fans and read all these comments and kind of, you know, they were saying we're making their day and helping them through the pandemic and all their comments and them watching us, which like helping us get through because it was really hard for us sitting on a record that we really wanted to put out. And obviously we had no idea how long we'd have to sit on it. So um, in the beginning, it was that give and take with the fans too, where it was like, you know, th- we do this for you and, uh, you know, really them doing it watching these live streams and commenting back was just like the only joy we were getting for a few months there. And it was really helping us through. So that give and take has always been super strong with our our fans and um, hopefully it continues to grow. I think that's awesome. I was watching that same playoff game too, when I heard the, heard your song. So it was the Canadians Leafs game. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome, man. I mean, I grew up such a hockey fan and watching, you know, hockey really my whole life. And, um, yeah, I mean, I got to be honest, when I when I wrote for The Glory, me and Liz do all the lyrics and we kind of, you know, it's pretty much a 50-50 thing. We kind of battle stuff out. And once we know we're both happy with it, we know we have a good song. But um, for The Glory, you know, in, in my side of things, when I was writing that song, it was always the dream to be just at a hockey game and, and hear it played, you know, at a face-off or something like that. And we were lucky enough to hear it at a couple of face-offs um, over the last couple of years, but I never... Uh, you know, I, that was the dream and it actually kind of like surpassed my wildest dream with the song. And now it's like been licensed to the whole playoffs. And I'm, dude, I'm hearing it like every day when I'm watching playoffs right now. And I, I don't know, I'm just, it's really unreal. It, it's such a cool feeling. Who's your pick for the Stanley Cup? So, I mean, the Avs, I got to say the Avs will take it. Honestly, in my bracket, I put Toronto in there. I originally had Vegas, but I just can't root for Vegas because I'm a Kings fan. So, uh, yeah, I put Toronto. Unfortunately, you know, they lost game seven last night. But, uh, yeah, it's got to be the Avs. They've been the uh, the number one seed, and, you know, they're so hot. Nathan McKinnon's amazing, and they're just such a fun team to watch. They're so fast. It's crazy. I think, yeah, I think the, the Avalanche are probably the deepest team. Um, they're big sure. and, they're, and they're fast. 
But I do think the Lightning are going to be there. And I think the Bruins, out of all four teams, probably match up the best against the Avalanche because the Bruins are really physical. And, uh, yeah. you know, so I think it's going to be interesting. I'm a Blackhawk fan. We're in rebuilding phase right now. So, yep, yep. Um, right there with. Yeah, I, I don't know. I also, you never know. The Jets might be sleepers, dude. No one's really talking about the Canadian teams, but uh, the two upsets up there, you know, I think that uh, we might be surprised when we see the Jets do real well. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's been fun, though. Like, honestly, the sports and stuff have really been crucial for this pandemic. You know, it's been a weird year for everyone. But, I mean, I went to the last sporting event, pretty sure in the country. I went to the last Kings game last year when they shut everything down. I just had a feeling dude, let's go to this. It might be the last time we're like in public in an event like this. So we went to the last one and it was super eerie. And, you know, the lines for just the sinks alone were like a hundred people deep. It was just a really wild scene and it was quiet and eerie. And then, you know, they shut down all uh, live games from that point on. And it had been a, just a weird year. So I think bringing back the bubbles and having, for me, sports to watch and stuff has made it feel a little more normal. But um, really looking forward to uh you know, this pandemic hopefully on its way out and uh, moving on with our lives. I'm still bitter about that Blackhawk Game 7 overtime loss against the Kings. <laughs> Goes off yeah, Nick Letty's shoulder. Since <laughs> you brought it up, I guess we can go there. <laughs> oh, man, is yeah. that, was that painful? That, that was the final. That was the Stanley Cup final. You know, they, the two best teams that year, and that series was just unreal to watch, man. Yeah, what a, what a crazy... Crazy run the Kings had that year. That was wild. Yeah, both those teams, if it wasn't the Hawks one year, it was the Kings. If it wasn't the Kings that year, it was the Hawks. It was just back and forth for like seven, eight years. It was amazing. Yeah, it really was, man. And, you know, being a Kings fan here has always been awesome, and the organization has been super cool. Actually, last year was another really cool hockey thing for me. Um, I've got a – we just have a bar in my living room. It's called Bar Down. It's just like a, you know, a place where me and the friends could kick it over to quarantine. But – uh um, right before the pandemic hit, the Kings crew actually came over to my place and filmed like a, uh, basically us watching the game and having a little party and it ended up on the Jumbotron like before every single game and like a Kings commercial. I'd be seeing it on TV, like me shooting pool and playing bubble hockey. And, and then you'd go to a game and you could see yourself on the Jumbotron. And that was just such a, you know, unreal feeling. And then this year with NBC license and for the glory, I feel like I won the hockey lottery, dude. I feel like the, our songs won the Stanley Cup. Honestly, it's it's pretty wild. That's so cool. That is really cool. Good for you, man. I, I will say one last thing about the Kings. They need to put purple back in their uniforms. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I want just like all black and silver, little little purple pinstripe, little highlight. You know what I mean? I'm a huge jersey guy too, and, I'm, and like I do a lot of graphic design stuff too. So I've always that's been the dream, man. I've always in my head had the perfect Kings jersey, but. uh yeah, I'm pretty stoked on the reverse retro. I'm glad they brought that back this year. That was good. Cool, man. The well, purple, at least. Forum, forum blue, I guess, if we want to be uh, yeah. like correct. Well, Dan, it's been a great conversation, man. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Dude, I really appreciate it, man. And hopefully uh, we got a ton of dates booked. I haven't been able to announce these tours, but we're going to be on tour basically from August till the end of the year and a bunch of festival dates coming up. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, man, we'll be playing at a town near you and you can come out and kick it with us at a show. And, um, yeah, man, th- thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Awesome, man. Yeah. You got to come to sh- the Chicago area. Love to see you guys live. Definitely, brother. Yeah. We got some shows around there, so I'll, I'll keep in touch and we'll hopefully uh, get you out to the show. That'd be great. All right, everybody. That's Dan Murphy from all good things. 
new album coming out in the fall. You guys can check it out. Go check out their their website as well. All good things. Got L A. And I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. This is our kingdom. Shoulder to shoulder, the sons and the daughters. This is our kingdom. Our bones are the bricks, and our blood is the mortar. This is our kingdom. Watch your step and pay your respects as you're crossing the border. This is our just realize you're the land to the slaughter. This is our towers above. The people we love have fallen around us. Slowly we choke on all of the smoke that's rising to drown us. It's harder than hell. We've emptied the well. We're melting together. But we will survive. Solidify. We'll never surrender. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.